Motherhood Incorporated proudly presents Military Mom Talk Radio live on toginet.com. Co-hosted by Robin Boyd and Sandra Beck, the owner of Motherhood Incorporated. Military Mom Talk Radio is here with a powerful platform for women to discuss their ideas, issues, and concerns with respect to the military lifestyle. Military Mom Talk Radio encourages you to share your experiences of being a military wife and mother. This show is dedicated to educating your family about the many resources that are available in both the public and private sector. And we'll be sharing helpful information from women all over the world. We'll cover everything military from helping a family member cope with post-traumatic stress disorder to navigating government programs dealing with family issues to the struggles of deployment along with being a working mother both in and out of the home. This is Military Mom Talk Radio and here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and I'm so excited today for today's show, Rob. We have just two really great guests, and they're topics that don't come up often. You know, we're going to welcome mm-hmm. Anita Brickman, and she's coming to us from the National Hospice Organization, and hospice, for those of you that aren't aware of what hospice is, is when you are terminally ill or you are... Uh, about to pass away hospice comes and provides comfort care and that can be in the in uh can cover anything from from drugs to therapies to uh psychological uh therapy and um gosh when they came to take care of my mom they were wonderful everybody was so nice they helped her with their nutrition they helped the whole family go through that dying process together and it really made it a lot less stressful uh on everyone it's not a pleasant experience anybody who's lost a loved one knows that but you know when you can bring somebody in who's walked through this process before it's really calming in a in an arena where you wouldn't expect to find comfort calming and peace agreed and i my dad had hospice um in his final stage and i i think so often we think of that final time in one's life as being uh, hugely negative when it can be so tremendously positive and that's where hospice does come in because it's not only to help the person who is um, experiencing their final journey but it is for everyone to it, that's involved with that person every all the family and that's where the greatest comfort is because instead of woeing about what is happening to your family it's finding the most joy in that in that period so that you can always have the the memories in a very positive light and well and that's you know what's Rob, beautiful. It's- it is. And, you know, and I think back to my mom's passing a couple of years ago and, and the hospice workers that would come and they, they talked, you know, to me about how to talk age appropriately to, you know, my kids at the time were, what, five and seven or six and mm. nine, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they were little ones and they didn't understand. And, you know, it was frightening. And for them, you know, because here's my mom in a hospital bed and in, in the house, you know, it was very different things and it smelled funny and it looked funny and she didn't look like grandma and you know it was really great because they they gave me the words you know to have this discussion with my kids you know instead of me Mm -hmm. fumbling through it 
And the other thing that they did is they provided this guide to the dying process. And I had no idea there was like a system or a process for dying, but there truly is. And, you know, my mom followed kind of along this little path. And what it did was it took the fear of the unknown out. Like, you know, you kind of go through this like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, when you're with mm-hmm. a dying person for the first time because you, you really you don't have any frame of reference to pull from. And, you know, they mm-hmm. gave me this little handout and it was you know just a couple pages, but it talked about about what happens and it took it kind of demystified it so instead yeah. of me sitting there freaking out which I was anyway you know don't get me wrong well, of course <laughs> yeah of course you know but it it gave me something to look at and go oh okay this is why this is happening this is normal and I know that sounds really weird but but death is a normal process that we all will go through at some point and to have a little handout or have a doctor explain or a nurse explain and for the nurses to come and provide my mom comfort care you know that was the greatest because you could watch her immediately get out of pain yeah yeah and there again I think you you put the you you said it that it gave you dialogue because we have the most difficult time in our society talking about death I mean Egyptians spent years and years and years building their pyramids getting ready for their death (laughs) The, the the royals and and yet we have such a hard time saying oh we are in our final stages and talking about it how many people can't even be bring themselves to to build their will or to to finalize their will thinking oh that that I can't face that I can't do that or not wanting even to talk about the um the, the estate settlements because they don't want to even go there and that's where uh, a a person from hospice can really come in and just really open the door and let people feel comfortable and give you permission to talk about those things Well, absolutely. And, you know, some of the things that the counselors helped us with as a family, you know, because obviously this was, my mom was not very, you know, much on in years and she was, you know, she was fairly young and she was in good health, you know, when she got sick and, Mm. and, you know, she had breast cancer. And so she, you know, were under the treatments and stuff, but they, they gave us these like, I don't know how you can describe it, um, but like just these little windows of what to do. Like one of the ladies said to me, she's like, you know, she's like, you're really close to your mom and and she's like, you know, sit and talk to her and keep talking to her because she will hear you. She will hear you. You know, we know that that from, you know, working with hospice people for 25 years that, you know, they do hear, you know, what their loved ones are saying because they, you know, they wake up sometimes before they die or like my mom did. She she popped up, um, mm-hmm. you know, before she passed away and was very alert, you know, for like a little bit. And we knew that she had heard us. And so, you yeah. know, if you don't know these things, you just sit there going like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I got, I jabbed away like a jaybird you know she's probably like please he's the sweet release of death just so my daughter would shut up yeah yeah (laughs) and uh, you know but you know you can laugh about these things but it they also told us stuff like you know they told my mom you know to to have some time with each child you know adult child and grandchild and you know they guided us through things so we all had great peace you know you always are going to have loss and you'll always feel that loss but I don't think there's anybody in my family you know my mom had like five girls sitting around her so (laughs) she got no peace Um, but you know but everybody felt like they had their say and that's the one thing like there is a gift in in terminal illness 
sickness and chronic illness that ends in death is that you have those times to say it. And that's where something hospice can come in and help you really make the most of that time. Definitely, definitely. Um, And I can't wait to talk to her too because I'm sure that there are more and more um, chapters of hospice care. I think most areas do have them, but I, there are more and more people that are becoming trained in these, in this field. And I think that that's, that's exciting to know that um, it's a growing field, that the service is much more easier to get than it ever was. Right. Well, and now they have this whole program, this national program, and that's why we're bringing Anita mm. on today. Mm-hmm. There we honor veterans um, that are hospice professionals on a mission to serve. And it's really cool, like if you haven't checked it out, you know, to go to wehonorveterans.org because there is some unique needs that veterans have that – you know, civilians don't, you know, there's a lot of veterans that need to talk about certain things and maybe they want to talk to their family, but they can talk to a chaplain, a military chaplain, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just something special that is really only come to light in the past, you know, few years. It wasn't available, you know, 20 years ago. And we have that. And the interesting statistic, and I don't want to like blow it for Anita, but one out of four people that go into hospice today is a veteran, which is amazing. Ouch. Yeah, that is. I, I, that is a, a, a huge statistic. Yeah. So it's nice to see that there's programs out there that are custom mm-hmm. tailored to the specific needs of the military family. And speaking of which, we yeah, have... I was just going to say, what a segue. <laughs> what a segue. I'm really rocking these segues. I, I just have to give a quick aside um, to everybody listening today. I got 12 hours of sleep a day since Thursday. So I am on fire. Like my kids went away with, with friends for the, for a long weekend and they were gone Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They didn't come back till noon today. And I slept and I took a bath and I ate food. I didn't have to share. I watched TV. I didn't have to mute for the objectionable parts. And I'm just like a different person. So I have to just put that out there that, you know, as moms, we get so worn out, so worn out. And you don't realize how good you can feel with just, I don't know, 48 hours of uninterrupted sleep. And I think every mom can definitely relate to that, Sandra, because we have all been there and it's true you just have how many times have moms had the kids go away and you still have Nickelodeon or or whatever channel is the kid channel the Disney channel on TV because you're just used to having that channel on I've I've done that that. I turned on Spongebob I mean I didn't do it this time I mean this was my (laughs) second break from my kids in like four years and um you know but it was exciting Rob because and people kept asking me they're like oh my god your kids are going away what are you gonna do what are you gonna do and I was like Oh my God, I did laundry, but it was easy laundry. Like it was only my own, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just really fun. <laughs> and I didn't even do anything. I didn't go out. I didn't go to the movies. I didn't do anything. I just kind of wandered around my house. I, I did swim in my pool, which was nice without having somebody climb on me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but it was just, and I was so happy to see my kids when they came home today. I was overjoyed and thrilled. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that just that break we get from mm-hmm. our kids is so necessary, but so hard to take. It's so hard to, to arrange, but it's so worth it. And I think that's one of the things when we've had Blythe Lippman on um, 
talking about um, baby and toddler instructions, and that's one of the things that she just really encourages moms to do. And when you're a military mom and you have somebody in your family who is is not home all the time, that's when you really do need to find the opportunity to share or trade off or be able to have your kids sleep over their house one night so that you can have a night alone and then vice versa. Give them the give them the treat because it really does make such a difference. Well, well we if you're ha- on I- deployment. Oh, just really quick, Rob. If you're on deployment, yeah. if your spouse is on deployment, make sure you check out what benefits are available to you for respite care because there are, I think it's 12 or 15 hours a month that you can get respite care paid for by our military for the specific child care break that parents need. That's perfect. Perfect. And some of the veterans' benefits that we want to share are uh, going to be chatted with us with our next guest, Thomas Van Hees. He has written a book called The Disability Compensation, The Veterans' Guide. And I can't wait to meet Thomas because his book has been the hot topic in our house for the last week. Stay tuned for Thomas Van Hees. Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? Well, that's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. And we'll be right back after these. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We'll put a boot in your ass. It's Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we've got an excellent guest coming up. You're not going to want to miss uh, the interview with him. And uh, Rob, I I just got to say something really quick. Casey, mm-hmm. who produces our show, puts up with me every week because I get the numbers <laughs> wrong. I get the guest names in the wrong order. So I just want to make a public announcement that, Casey, you're the greatest for never getting mad at me. And I'm doing better at getting people's names correct, uh, but I blow on the phone numbers these days. So thank you, Casey. You're the greatest. You are the greatest. 
<laughs> and uh, go ahead, Sam, because uh, you you want to introduce our guest. He is. Uh, this book has been tremendous, um, and our as I say, we've been sharing it back and forth, just pouring through it. It is. It's a wonderful guide. It's a veteran's guide. And, you know, we've talked a lot about navigating, you know, the systems within our government. And and, uh, Tom Van Hees has come up with just such a great, simple, easy to read. It's it's got my category of like under 100 pages. Big print tells me just what I need to know. (laughs) And, you know, it gets my A plus, uh, whatever, good housekeeping seal of approval because I don't have to wade through a bunch of paperwork to find out what I'm looking for. He's clarified it. He's given us examples. We're so excited to have you on the show, Tom, live from Minnesota. Here is Tom Van Hees. <laughs> Hi there. <laughs> Welcome, Tom. We're so glad Thank you're you. with us. Well, this book, as as I was saying in the introduction, uh, both my husband and I have been reading it, and Steve, being a Vietnam veteran, um, was so impressed that you have so much information in such a concise format. Um, it's so well laid out, and it's just absolutely chock full of the most valuable information. And the first thing that we've just got to ask um, is, obviously, you were uh, in the service, and you might want to give us a little synopsis of where you were and who you served with. Um, I entered the service in 1964. I went into the Marine Corps, and um, almost immediately after boot camp, I uh, was sent to Vietnam, and I was with 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines, as an M60 machine gunner, mm-hmm. and I uh, was there for my full tour of duty, and um, managed to pick up two Purple Hearts while I was there, and uh, when I came back, um, I had some issues with uh, my health, as far as my uh, wounds and stuff goes, so I filed for mm-hmm. compensation. I was in 1971, and uh, at that time, the VA told me, We'll contact you in two years, and 30 years later, um, I sought more compensation because my health issues became to be a problem. Hmm. And in all of this process, I'm sure it was very difficult for you to navigate uh, the system, the quote-unquote system. So is this the premise of your writing this book and compiling? Is this based on all of your experience? Well, my motivation for... For writing the book was, uh, I didn't want other veterans to go through what I had to go through to get my compensation. Mm-hmm. In nearly four years, I filed 15 claims for compensation. Mm. Five were five were denied, and three of those five were denied more than twice. And in the end, with each denial, I learned more and more on how the, to negotiate the VA's claim filing process and how what they were looking for, how to compose my statements what they were looking for, for evidence in a certain claim. And I wanted to put all this out there so, like I say, veterans didn't have to go through what I had to go through to get what they have deserved and earned. Sure. I'm, I'm going to ask you a compound question here, Tom, because first of all, I, I, I think people might consider them, and I hear this from a lot of veterans, they'll say, oh, I don't really have a disability. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to go back and file a claim. At what point do you really say, well, maybe I do have a claim? What What is considered a claim, and how do you go about filing for a claim? Well, um, 
I, I say in my book, and when I do talk with other veterans, um, I tell them that 75 to 80 percent of veterans really do not know they have a service-connected disability. Their health issues as they get older, they just assume it's because of their age and, and, and growing older, but it's not necessarily so. A minor injury uh, in the service, a sprained ankle, badly sprained ankle or something like that, mm-hmm. eventually, within 30 to 40 years later, turns into severe arthritis or some other crippling uh, health issue, and that's service-connected disability. Another big uh, misconception is I get from the veterans is, well, I wasn't in combat. I don't, I can't get compensation. You don't have to be in combat to get hurt. You can be hurt doing your job, your your MOS in the service, and if you get hurt doing that job, that's a service-connected disability, and you can file a claim for it. Mm-hmm. Now, the question being, if <clears throat> you may know that you, <coughs> excuse me, have a have either had a sprain or maybe you have a punctured eardrum, but what if you don't have that written down somewhere? Maybe, I, maybe that uh, military person didn't go back to talk to the, uh, to the cl- uh, medic and say, I-, I had a problem. Does that mean that you can't file a claim because you don't have any documentation from the instance? Not necessarily. Uh, a veteran, some veterans have injuries and they don't go to the infirmary or the hospital and uh, for it because with the way we say it, they're too macho. <laughs> or they say, if I go, then they're going to put me on, they're going to switch me to another job or something like that. And I don't want that, so I just forgot about it. But there are ways, if an injury is not documented into the service medical records, there are other ways to find out um, or to let the VA know that and provide the evidence that, uh, yes, you were injured, uh, they could go to somebody that was in their outfit that they still may be uh, connected with, and they were there when that person got injured that day, and all he has to do is write a statement, what they call a buddy letter, and mm-hmm. present that to uh, the VA. Or their job might, you know, if a person has severe hearing loss or mm-hmm. tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears, and that can go back to what his job was. If he didn't file for it back when he was in the service, he may have been on the flight deck on the aircraft carrier where the planes are coming and going, and the, and he's exposed to that noise, and tinnitus, is, which was ringing in the ears, uh, is uh, caused by noise exposure. And hmm. he can file a claim for that. Along with tinnitus comes uh, bilateral hearing loss, which is kind of hand-in-hand. Sure. And um, I'm sure that there were some things, I mean, I do know, but I want to bring it up, that um, there are some things that were specific to certain theaters or certain uh, battles. For example, Korea and Vietnam probably were, um, all the guys were exposed to Agent Orange. And there may be latent things that are a result of just being there. Um, they may not have had circumstances now, but what is your recommendation as far as at least getting that all on the books um, for something that might happen later on? If a person is suffering from, from some type of a, a health issue, health condition, and he doesn't really know what it is, 
um, and he's not in the VA medical, you know, VA system, he can go to a civilian doctor. Uh, I'll give you an example. If, if he was in Vietnam and he has type 2 diabetes, type 2 diabetes is, is like number one on the Agent Orange list. He can go to a civilian doctor and he can get a, uh, a blood test and, which, and get a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. And then what he does is he goes and he sees a veterans service officer at the local veterans affairs office and uh, files a claim for type 2 diabetes. And then the VA will bring him in and do the testing for it. And they will. it's not that they don't want the civilian diagnosis, it's that the VA has to have their own diagnosis. It, that helps. But when they get a diagnosis, their own diagnosis, then he can he can get the compensation for his type 2 diabetes. Hmm. Wow. It's, now, it's not if... as difficult. It's not as difficult as, as everybody makes it out to be. Um, most veterans that I talk to that I can right away when I start talking to them, I automatically know this is going to be a tough case. Mm-hmm. I just have to make them realize that it's not as, it, as difficult and it doesn't have to be a hassle to file for compensation. Now, Tom, one of the things I think that you are um, a prime example of is that maybe a determination isn't uh, given to you right away, but should we just let that go and never go back again, or should we keep on trying? Because um, in the last three minutes that we have to chat, I just want to make sure people realize that, um, that a no at the beginning doesn't mean a no forever. Oh, no, 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 no. Some of these things, uh, some of these health issues take 30, 40, even 50 years to manifest. Um, okay, once once they decide that they want to file a claim for it, and they do file a claim, even if they get denied for one reason or another, they should never, ever give up. Um, there's always a way to turn a denial around, and but there's a few things, you know, they, they've lied about their evidence, uh, <laughs> you know, similar things like that, mm-hmm. that that the VA will just go ahead and deny them again. But um, my success record with helping veterans is more than 97%, so I know what's going on. And I tell all veterans, never, ever, ever give up. This is wonderful, and we are going to close uh, this segment shortly. I want everybody to know where we can find your books, Tom. Uh, I can't recommend this highly enough. Okay, um, my books are, you can get them through Barnes & Noble or Amazon, but Mm -hmm. I suggest you get them from me because it takes so, so long to get them, and there's a process that you have to go through to order them and this and that. So they can get a hold of me. Is it okay if I get my... uh, my email? Absolutely. Okay, my email is bounderpair. That's B-O-U-N-D-E-R-P-A-I-R at yahoo.com. And in the subject line of their email, have them put VA, so I know it's not junk mail. And mm-hmm. if they want a book, um, I, I don't make anything off my books. I just do it as uh, a favor to the veterans, you know, a helping guide. And they can get a hold of me, or even if they have problems and they want to file some claims, I write their statements for free. I don't charge to do it. If they want to buy a book, fine. If they don't, I don't care. I'll still help them. That's not the point of selling books. I'm here to help veterans. 
This is wonderful. Thomas Van Hees, we appreciate this so much, and we want to spell your last name. It's V-A-N-H-E-E-S, Thomas Van Hees, Disability Compensation, The Veteran's Guide. And you have authored a number of others, so the next time we chat with you, Tom, we'll have you on real soon. We want to talk about your other books as well. Thanks so much for being here, Tom. Okay. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have the uh, Palliative Care Organization, Hospice and Palliative Care. We'll be back in a moment. Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? Well, that's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. And we'll be right back after these. Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, Military Moms. Boy, that was a fast <laughs> commercial break. Um <laughs> Our, I love that. Our bump out to our bump in. <laughs> and what was so funny, Rob, because I'm like, okay, we're going to commercial break. I'm going to run and fill up my Diet Coke. I'm going to, mm. you know, check on my kids and come back. Oh, my God, that's our music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good thing you didn't go to do something else, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love no. it. Gosh, how fun. Well, I, I honestly, I hope um, we're going to try and get Tom back, back on again, um, maybe even next week with uh, our veteran correspondent, Steve Boyd, because uh, honestly, Steve has been plowing through this book and, and has been um, just getting so much information out of it. So we're really I, excited to share that with everybody. I do, too. I do, too. Um, uh, we are going to welcome now from uh, Veterans Hospice uh, Organization, and uh, I'm looking here. I just, I'm... <laughs> I know we didn't have our to, to turn our pages over. <laughs> I am. I just, I'm all out of sorts today. Uh, from wehonorveterans.org. There we go. Wehonorveterans.org uh, is awesome. Um, we are going to welcome Anita from wehonorveterans.org, and she is coming to us from Virginia. So we are all over the map today. We've got Robin in New Hampshire, the radio station in Texas. We've got Anita in uh, Virginia. We've got, I think Tom is out of Minnesota and we've got Los Angeles. Let's see how many states we can cover in one show. <laughs> you guys are ready to go global, I think. <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> we did. We had a guest that came on from Israel once, and I forget, some author, and she was so tired because it was the middle of the night there. And, and uh, we've had, in the early days, we had some people coming in from Iraq and Afghanistan, a couple authors. Wow. Remember, Rob, how fun yeah. that was? Yeah, we did. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. So, okay. So, Anita, tell me about We Honor Veterans. This is a hospice 
what kind of is it a VA organization? Is it? A, I don't understand what it is. So you're going to have to clarify it for the rest of the audience too. Since I boxed I would be show. happy to. So well, first of all, I am coming to you from Alexandria, Virginia, and that is where my our parent company, our our membership organization, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization (NHPCO) is located, and I run their communications team. We Honor Veterans is a partnership program. NHPCO has launched in partnership with the Veterans Administration. And what this was designed to do when it launched in 2010 is to help hospices across the nation honor veterans in their final moments in every way possible. We worked with the Veterans Administration to look at unique needs veterans might have and see how hospices could address those needs and honor them in special ways. And even almost as much of importance is pairing them up with um, hospice volunteers. Every hospice has volunteers that go out to visit patients make sure families are doing well, check in on them on a regular basis, trying to make sure that the veteran who is in hospice gets a, a visit from another veteran. It seems that, you know, and obviously many of your listeners can relate to this, military service ties people together in a lifelong bond, and they understand what that person has gone through, whether it's combat, whether it's love of country, service, commitment, all of those things. And some of that is really crystallized at the end of life, and having someone come to see you who understands your service and honors it is a huge gift. So we honor veterans org is our website, but the program helps hospices across the country go through different levels of partnership to increase what they do for veterans, and they do some amazing things. Hmm. I can only imagine that having someone to talk to, um, just to be able to sort of say a few things that you needed to say that you haven't been able to share with family. Um, yeah. I know that my dad didn't say anything about his service to me actually he did talk to my husband to a certain degree but I'm sure that there is a period of time when you're realizing that this journey is um, coming to a close that you just need to sort of tell things and do you find that kind of common it is very common, and many of the counselors and the volunteers, you know, talk about veterans wanting to, in some cases, make peace sometimes with terrible memories from mm-hmm. war and the trauma of that and some of the the necessary actions of war and wanting to revisit those, make peace with them, but also share that with someone who has been there. And what the hospices do is make sure that they, you know, enable and empower the folks who are going out and visiting people, are you, hey, are you asking about military service? Are you opening up that conversation and allowing to talk about it? The other Mm. thing that they do are special ceremonies and acts that really honor what the veteran has done. And it's been my job at NHPCO to help We Honor Veterans collect those stories. Ladies, it's amazing. Some of the hospices, many, many do what are called pinning ceremonies to um, honor the veteran for the service that he has given 
or she has given this country. They also, I'm actually, we're awaiting this weekend here in Washington, D.C. area, another honor flight, as you're all familiar with. Mm. Hospices send some of their veterans who are well enough, sometimes for the last trip of their lives, to travel on honor flight and go to the World War II Memorial for sometimes the only time of their lives or one last time. We also had um, a hospice up in Rhode Island help arrange for a trip where a veteran wanted to go back home and the the VA center in his hometown welcomed him. And there are honor guards and all kinds of things that make the veteran feel special. In addition to the one-on-one conversations that can open the door to talking about PTSD issues, memories. Like you said, they don't necessarily want to burden their families and their minds with it, but they may open up to someone else. So the We Honor Veterans program tries to help with this and provide guidelines for hospices to use so they feel comfortable reaching out to their veteran communities. Now, you said that there's volunteers. You know, can anybody volunteer? You know, can like I'm a, a veteran's daughter, you know, can I volunteer or do you have to be a veteran to volunteer? And if no. so, what kind oh, of no, training no, do you get? For volunteering in at, at hospice, they all encourage volunteer participation. They have volunteer coordinators who help with the training. And you could specifically ask to be part of a We Honor Veterans program. On wehonorveterans.org, there's a whole list of our participating hospices that do this kind of work. But any hospice across the United States welcomes volunteers. And like I said, we have the website, and we also have a phone number where if people want to call and say, I'm really interested in doing this and I want more information, it is 800-646-6460. 800-646-6460. And that calls into our offices here at NHPCO, and we can direct folks to our We Honor Veterans team to help them maybe get hooked up with a hospice that's in their area. They welcome and encourage volunteer participation. Hmm. Now, how widespread is your organization across the country? Uh, If I live in a very remote area, is it going to be difficult for me to find a resource? Well, we look at, we have 2,300 partners right now across the United States. And so we have really worked hard, our team, in doing this and coordinating coordinating with the Veterans Administration to try to also reach veterans who are in sometimes rural areas and may not feel like they have the best access to some um, VA programs. So we have really worked with trying to make sure we can reach them. And the website is a clearinghouse to look for participating organizations. So we have hospices that participate, but also supportive community partners. You know, they, they work with um, retirement homes in their areas, um, VAs, um, other organizations to try to make sure veterans are honored wherever they are and they're, that they're not forgotten. And I think this is so important right now with our World War II vet population and making mm. sure, you know, we've talked about that generation, you know, slowly disappearing and the legacy that they leave behind absolutely needs to be honored at every stage of life. Mm. Now, when you say that you are partnering with VAs, you're independent. How are you funded? Because I'm sure that that has to cost a lot of money to get a lot of volunteers out into reaching these people. 
Well, it's really interesting. We do have a partnership with the VA to launch this program, but there are donations made to We Honor Veterans. And when it comes to the vet- the volunteer programs at hospices, individual hospices run those. And it is part of the way hospice is set up in the United States that you must have a volunteer component. So they yeah. have their volunteer programs in place. It's part of the, the Medicare hospice benefit. The way that works, um, there are hospice professionals, a clinical team, that once a patient enrolls in hospice, once a doctor makes that recommendation, a family asks for it, and a doctor specifies that a person is ready and, um, you know, appropriate for hospice, there is a whole interdisciplinary team, a doctor, a nurse. There are social workers, um, therapists, counselors, um, home health aides that can come in and help make sure that the person is comfortable, but a part of that whole team also has to be volunteers. And hospices are always looking for great volunteers who go through kind of a, um, you know, an intake program, an educational Mm -hmm. program before they start visiting people in their homes. And the We Honor Veterans program tries to make sure to identify, hey, do we have veterans who, um, you know, would be able to visit some of our veterans in hospice. And it was really interesting, um, around Veterans Day last fall, we did an appearance with our CEO here at NHPCO on, on Fox News. And they said, you know, can you find us a veteran coordinator? And we did right here in Northern Virginia. He himself had had military service, and he helped up pair, help pair up veteran volunteers with veterans in hospice. And he said it was some of the most gratifying work to do this kind of thing because you could see how easily and how well the veterans connected with others who had served. Wow. Well, yeah, it just makes sense. I mean, I think of my dad, you know, and he gets together with his military buddies. It's a whole different dynamic than it is, you know, with his friends. And, and you know, it just makes such a difference. And I know that my dad has shared a lot of things with his his military service buddies, you know, obviously that he wouldn't share with his children. So what a great gift you can give your family member in their, you know, final stages to have that additional level of support, to have that additional level of connection and honor. I just think it's great. Well, the other thing, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. My uncle served in Vietnam, and I never, almost never talked about it um, at all, except with my dad, who had also served. And he just, it, it profoundly affected him. And I think this this program is going to be really, really important. Um, we, you know, we, we, we focus a lot right now on the World War II vets, but we're going to have a whole new generation who may have really difficult issues at the end of life, and we need to be ready to honor them, especially if in some cases they didn't feel so honored when they returned home. And I think this is a chance to um, rectify that in some ways. And we have one really exciting program. Um, that I'm actually waiting for the video to come back to We Honor Veterans here at NHPCO. Um, a hospice in St. Louis there um, was able to help a veteran um, get his diploma. And he had never actually gotten their certificate, and they helped, you know, go through the paperwork and find it. Others have helped get medals that weren't appropriately awarded. They, the volunteers have worked with the VA and, and government institutions and sometimes with help from lawmakers saying, this vet deserves to have this medal before he or she goes. And I think oh, it will be wow. really interesting, too, to collect some stories from our female veterans and to see how their issues may differ from their male counterparts as they get older. 
Yeah, Anita, we're going to hold on to you uh, and chat more after the break. We're talking today with Anita Brickman. She is the Vice President of Strategic Communications at the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. And she is talking to us today about the NHPCO We Honor Veterans Program. Stay tuned. We'll be back with Anita after the break. Are you a military mom looking for help in dealing with the system? Keeping the home fires burning? Well, that's what we're here for. It's Military Mom Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. And we'll be right back after these. It's time to devote time to yourself and strap yourself in for a fun, down-to-earth, enthusiastic, compassionate, easy-to-understand discussion on the unlimited ways you can be all that you want to be. Join us for Bee Institute Radio with Christine McKee on Toginet Radio. Each week, Christine will have lively and open discussions and interviews, share stories and case studies, and hear from experts on the topic of the week. Christine, a registered psychologist from Australia and published author of Be by Design, How I Be is Up to Me, hosts lively discussions and interviews every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Welcome back to Military Mom Talk Radio on toginet.com. Covering topics to help on the home front with help from those who know how the system works and how to work the system. It's more fun than a sale at the BX. Now let's get back to it. It's Military Mom Talk Radio. Here again are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we've got a great show today because we are bringing to you uh, a representative from We Honor Veterans, and, you know, when you have a loved one that is in their final stages, it's really helpful to have... have some guidance on what to do uh, because people in hospice, in my experience, they've been through the dying process many times. They've experienced a lot of things that we who are going through with our family member the first time, you know, we're just experiencing it for the first time. So it's new and frightening or exciting or interesting, you know, whatever it is uh, for you. Um, and ho- people from hospice can give you all sorts of direction and guidance uh, as to how to navigate through this process with the least amount of trauma and discomfort and confusion. You know, the biggest thing, Rob, that I can say about hospice with my mom, you know, I come from a big family and a couple of them are nurses and everybody had an opinion and, and you know, my brothers are engineers and they had opinions and mm. it was really nice for hospice to come in. They were kind of like the ringleader for the circus and they would come in and just say, okay, you know, this is the conversation that you guys need to have and it's a good mm-hmm. time to have it now and it was great for one person just to kind of be the level head because you know that person wasn't as emotional as the rest of us and exactly. it was 
So helpful. So I'm interested in what Anita has to say for what families can do during this time and what what type of resources are available. I mean, we talked about social workers and we talked about, you know, veteran volunteers coming, but what does that look like? What do people come and do uh, with respect to your family member? You know, they're coming into your home many times. Can you talk a little bit, Anita, about what that looks like and what the benefits are for the family? Oh, absolutely. And I would like to start with a personal story of how much hospice um, helped my own father, a very similar situation where we were trying to all figure out, my mom, my sister and I, what would be best for him. Um, He was in late stage with colon cancer and and only 58 years old, and it was so, so difficult for, for my mom. And I think part of the problem sometimes comes is that doctors have a hard time, especially oncologists who are just so committed to trying every treatment possible to help extend that person's life and hopefully, hopefully knock that cancer back, maybe put it into remission. It's hard to have the conversation and say, we're out of options. And I think in this case, especially for my mom, she was absolutely ready to take my dad back to the hospital one more time and and when the doc when the doctor basically handed her a card for hospice she didn't understand what he was saying to her because mm. the conversation wasn't handled well i was able to get out to the midwest where i'm from and and be there and and she was very much in a panic saying you know i think we just need to get dad back to the hospital and one of the the final major decisions and and acts that he made at the end of his life was to sign the paperwork to say i don't want to go in the ambulance i don't want to go back to the hospital i want to stay mm-hmm. here now, if you can picture this, my dad was six seven, a huge, just dynamic, wonderful, but hulking man. And I think my mom was thinking, how on earth am I going to take care of him through the end stages of cancer mm-hmm. in our home? And what hospice did, and I think this is indicative of what happens, is that you have, once you're enrolled in hospice, and again, hospice can be delivered at home, it can be in an assisted living, it can be in the nursing home, and if someone has what's considered a crisis, they can go to an inpatient facility. So there's a lot of places you can get hospice care. But what I think is really important is understanding that the hospice team comes in and gets to know all of you, your family dynamic, and they can be the ringleader in a very emotionally driven circus and saying, okay, here's what we can do. Hospice can help get the hospital bed in there you need for that person. You have someone taking a step back and saying, okay, let's get a pain management plan in place that will work and can consult with the physician of how that's going to be. What do we need to do? to relieve caregiver stress and anxiety. And Mm -hmm. then as things move toward the very final stages of life, the hard conversation of what's going to happen next, what's my loved one going to go through, what do I expect? You know, my mom and my grandfather were there through the night as before my father passed, and it didn't make it any easier on her, but it certainly honored his wishes of staying at home. And hospice did tell her what to expect, And she knew she could pick up that phone and call if she felt like she was in a crisis and couldn't handle it on her own. The -hmm. other thing that hospice does is provide bereavement services for the family, if they so wish, for up to a year after the passing of a loved one. So I think that there is an important thing, a conversation. The first thing people can do is have the conversation 
sooner rather than later. Not about necessarily hospice or not, but what do you want at the end of life? How much intervention do you want? Who speaks for you if there is a major medical crisis like a stroke, an embolism, even a car crash that can come out of nowhere? Who knows what you really want at the end of life? Having that conversation earlier helps your loved ones feel empowered. We have a website at NHPCO called caringinfo.org. It is the Caring Connections website, caringinfo.org. It has a tremendous amount of information for caregivers, for families. How do you cope with grief? Helping a loved one deal with pain. That is a website that would be for anyone dealing with a critical illness or worrying about a family member that is not focused just on veterans. We Honor Veterans is a program that tries to honor the special wishes and needs of veterans at the end of life. But caringinfo.org, I think, is a tremendous resource for anyone interested in the idea of -of end-of-life care, planning for it, and there are even advanced directives on that that are done state-by-state, free to download, that can be filled out by family members to talk about what they want at the end of life. That can help a family a long way toward avoiding the emotional turmoil when one family member wants this, another thinks this is the best route, another may have medical, a medical background. When you have all of that going on, knowing what the loved one, what your father, mother, whoever it is, said they wanted, that can help relieve a lot of stress and dissent. And it's also an important thing too, Anita, because we have legalities in in our society. You need to have this written down. I just can't say, oh, I want my son to have my piano. I have to have that in writing. Or you need to have things in a will just so that you're not going to go through probate and have to have issues. Um, Those kinds of things are important to get down. And we do need to, in our healthier, younger years, need to get that all down in writing. And the other thing I wanted to bring up, Anita, too, um, so many times I think a family feels that they don't want to burden somebody or do or even bear an expense of having somebody else come in as a caregiver because they feel that they might be responsible. And I have to say, I took care of my mom for almost 20 years. And when we had visiting nurses coming in, um, sure, I could have helped her maybe take that shower. But by having a visiting nurse come in and help her with that shower, not only did they know better how to handle a little wet body, but that gave me 45 minutes to go down and maybe um, put a load of laundry in or put my feet up or be able to give me 45 minutes to just read a book if that's what I so chose to do or run to the bank. And that is where that break. Sandra and I were talking about having a break from the kids at the beginning of the of the show. That's where you need a break even from your loved ones so that when you're back with your loved one, you're not feeling stress about having to deal with the sickness, but you have the joy to engage with this person for the last bit of time you have with them. Oh, I totally agree. We just put together an educational video that we will be releasing soon on caregiver stress. It is a huge and underappreciated area. 
Um, and part of the message of that is you are doing no one any good if you fall apart. And a caregiver is carrying so much on his or her shoulders. If there's no time for respite, there is no way you can recharge. This week is our management leadership conference here in Washington, D.C. for our hospice and palliative care organization. And Dr. Nancy Schneiderman, Mm. speaking to us Thursday morning um, as the opening keynote speaker because she herself went through a tremendous deal of stress caring for her parents. She talked about how she just had, did not feel like she was getting enough help from her siblings. She gained weight. She was overtired. There's all these stress habits, you know, that, that, that come about, and you're so full of anxiety, you can't enjoy the time with your loved one. You have to have a break. You need your social circles. Having some kind of respite care, whether that's a volunteer coming in or whether it's paid care or asking a friend. This is the one thing I don't think that we do well enough in our society. People want to help, and if they say, oh, is there anything I can do to help, instead of being like, oh, no, I'm okay, or, well, whatever you think, what we really advise people who are in a long-term caregiving situation, accept the help and be specific. What do you need? Could you come and spend some time with my mom for an hour and a half while I go get the shopping done? You know, how, how, how can that person help you? If you give them something, could you help with a dinner one night a week? People really do want to help, and if you give them a way to do it, they will. But too often, especially women, I think, do this as moms, um, mm-hmm. as caregivers to our parents and our growing kids. We almost see it as a sign of weakness if we say we can't do it. But that's just not fair to ourselves, and it's not fair to the people that we love because they need us to be strong, and we can't be strong if we don't ever have a chance to recharge. Mm-hmm. Isn't that well, and I think it goes deeper mm-hmm. than that. Like, you know, and I just want to chime in here with this because, you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, people who are older, we were more worried about my dad having a heart attack, trying to take care of my mom, trying to mm-hmm. be there for my mom. It was not so much of like, oh, they're stressed out. It's like, oh, this could kill my dad. And we were oh, all yeah. thinking, my dad's going to die before my mom does. And she's the one in hospital. <laughs> Oh, it absolutely does because, you know, that, that level of wear and tear on, on the other partner is huge. And you do hear anecdotally, and it happens, one partner dying soon after the other or before, and, and there is a level uh, you know, of stress involved. Um, and going back to what you said about, you know, the advanced directive and making sure people know what your wishes are, it is so, so important. And, you know, and this is, you know, not to be maudlin about this, but in my mm-hmm. own family situation with my grandmother and grandfather, you know, he had expressed at one point, you know, he didn't want extraneous, me- you know, extraordinary measures. But after a stroke, he had a major crisis and was sent to the hospital. And my grandmother, who actually did not speak English very well, did not have a way at that moment to convey the wishes that were not written down. And um, he was I- intubated and ended up on, on a respirator. And when you mm-hmm. have a situation like like that, it's like you can't just turn the page back right. and make you, a different choice. It's been right. done. 
and he learned. Anita, we have to say goodbye, and I'm so sorry, but we do want to have you back very soon. And I want to direct everybody to their main website, and then all of these other websites will branch off if you go to nhpco.org and find We Honor Veterans and all of the other opportunities and resources that Anita Brickman has been sharing with us. Thanks, Anita, for being with us. Thank you. I lost track of the time. I look forward to talking to you again. (laughs) And we want to invite you all next week. We have our roving reporter, Stephen Boyd, coming to join us. And we hope we can have Thomas Van Hees talk a little bit more with us about some of his other books next week, right here on Military Mom Talk Radio. See you then. 